everyone. Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. So, a few things that have rattled my brain recently. The fact that, they, that you were at the lacrosse game and the kid did not know who Led Zeppelin was and they started playing like, immigrant song and he's like what is this crap it's all about travis scott that warped my brain the only other one that's actually totally just fried my melon a little bit the fact that matt vincent said that there's places that deliver hot cookies 24 hours a day to your house yeah i mean they they've been doing that for 20 years shout out tiff's (laughs) treats but uh, you got to remember, I have never ordered food online and had it delivered to my house. I've never, I've pizza. never had to order. Uh, but I, last time I ordered a pizza, I had to, I had to phone it in. So I had to call him on the telephone and order pizza. It's probably when I was in college. That's the last time you ordered a pizza. Yeah. What? Yeah. Every time else, when I was in Philly, I didn't order pizza. I went to the pizza pl- uh, pizza, pizza ordered spot. you. No, I, I would go down and I'd get a slice from like the local spot. What down do they the call it in, in Philly? Pie? No, a slice. You go down, you got a slice of pizza. Slice. With, with, you know, what kind of slice do you want? You want cheese? You want pepper? You know, like the places would have huge pizzas. And one time we were so drunk, we were like, just give us a whole one. And the guy basically sold us an uncooked pizza. We went home and we were like three pieces deep before we realized it wasn't cooked. <laughs> That's how drunk we were. Um, but I've never, I've never had Uber Eats. Um, I've never, like, I've, I'm, I've called in. Uh, food and gone and picked it up. Like I called in food at Route 12 for my wife and went and picked her up a burger, but I've never ever called it in and had it delivered to my house. I don't know what to say. I, I'm just saying that I miss, there's so much I'm missing out. The fact, like I would have never have dreamed that there was uh, a service that delivers hot cookies 24 hours a day to your house anytime you want. Well, technically it depends on where you live. I pride myself in living out of range of any delivery service, even Domino's. Really? Nobody delivers to uh, Dripping? Nope. Not my particular region. Really? Mm-hmm. What, Too uh, far out. I, I, it's good. <coughs> well, what are we talking about today, John? We're going to talk about episode <laughs> of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Uh, we're going to talk about Jack Street. I think we got some inquiries about Jack Street. So let's talk about one of our flagship programs. If you go to powerathletehq.com slash training, you can look at Jack Street. Jack Street does exactly as it's advertised. Gets you jacked as fuck. Uh Uh, Amplifies your physique. Builds thick sidewalk splitting slabs of muscle. Ooh. You know what? When you want to be able to pack on slabs of muscle, like something like a myostatin bowl, I'll stop while you Google that one. Look up the myostatin bowls. They do Jack Street. And if there was a spirit animal on Jack Street, it would probably be the mouse that pole. Yes. Or a lion. And or a lion. well, let's get it to a quick well, introduction. Well, the lion's the icon, but the spirit animal would definitely be the mouse that pulls. Is there a mouse that lion? Not yet. But I think with genetically modified, we can milestatin anything. <laughs> we can milestatin anything. So for those of you guys that don't know, milestatin <laughs> is uh, uh, like a muscle growth inhibitor. So it's almost the governor on muscle growth. So the body releases myostatin to check muscle growth. So they found that there were certain, uh, I guess, certain animals. And I think they have a few documented cases of humans 
where they oh, yeah. were born with uh, with no milestone governor, mm-hmm. and like there was one picture of a kid. But there's there's a number of them. Yeah. So they just ripped as all hell kids, not just like ripped. No, but like they got bulk. So the uh, interesting thing is they've tried to sell and talk about with like milestone blacker, uh, blockers. The only problem is is that if you were to be a like a human like us, like evolved or you know born like we are in present day, and you were to take a milestone blocker, there's so many checks and balances that you if you just tweak one thing, it doesn't do the effect. You would have to be genetically born into it with that or with that effect. Yes, that's a biohack that doesn't work. But this is a training program that yeah. does provide the set goal of yeah. taking some magic pill. So what's cool about Jack Street is uh, it follows all the principles that I, that I know for muscle growth. And what's amazing is that, you know, some of the, the best bodybuilders, some of the sharpest minds in strength conditioning figured out long ago how hypertrophy was, you know, uh, was created. More importantly, how to put somebody into a hypertrophy-based program. <clears throat> and it's only been, you know, within the last 10, 15 years, some really, really sharp uh, doctors and people have gone back. I mean, Brad Schofield is one, um, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Huberman from the Huberman uh, Institute. He's got a podcast. I mean, he's got some pretty interesting stuff, but it all plays back to what we've always known. You need a few factors for hypertrophy. You need mechanical tension. You're going to need some form of metabolic uh, derangement, like a little bit of like, you know, metabolic stress. Mm-hmm. And you're going to need some form of, you know, progressive overload. You got to be able to constantly be loading the muscle. So that's where that mechanical failure comes in, or mechanical tension, and then also that, uh, uh, you know, metabolic um, distress, which would be like for what we're doing with like kind of pump work. Mm-hmm. Um, then the other factor too, which is universal for all a lot of our programs, is the idea to recruit motor units. So you know, certain programs really put that to kind of front and center. We do it a ton on. Uh, on field strong, but we also on Jack street, you know, that ability to, to recruit high threshold motor units is another key yeah. factor. Not only building the muscle, but also coordinating and training it. So it is more useful Yes, and carry over to anything that you need to do. Yeah. I mean, the, um, there's always been this interesting relationship between strength and muscle. And just because somebody has a lot of muscle doesn't necessarily mean that they're strong mm-hmm. and it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody strong has to have a lot of muscle. But there is a symbiotic relationship if you understand the training. It is easier, I think, to put on hypertrophy if you are stronger and you're more well-trained because you understand about being able to push mechanical tension. If uh, you're relatively new to lifting weights, um, you know, pure hypertrophy-based program isn't our first start. I would much rather have somebody get really strong and then transition. And we've seen that in the life cycle of an athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, they get really strong and then all of a sudden the linear progression ends, the amateur phase ends. They can either... Take, you know, the there's two roads to travel, larger cross-sectional size of a muscle or greater motor unit recruitment, greater central nervous system efficiency, something like field strong, or you transition to something like Jack Street. And uh, we've found for a lot of people, and this isn't universally true, but it is true for a certain amount of the population, larger cross-section size of a muscle should theoretically be able to support more weight and result in greater strength. Um, I've had people, I, I had a guy hit me up recently. Uh, had been doing five, three, one more powerlifting based programs to try to squat 500 was stuck in the fours jumps on Jack street, all of a sudden hit some higher reps. And we were doing the shadow stuff with the one set to failure, you know, as our uh, kind of an homage to Dorian Yates and Mike Metzner. Um, now we're transitioning into some cluster training and just trying to find some ways, different ways to accumulate volume with mm-hmm. distress. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden he's like, you know, I was stuck at this all of a sudden in eight weeks, I put 40 pounds on my squat. 
do you think I could squat 500? Yes. Um, until you can't, I guess. But I mean, for the most part, uh, it's pretty interesting within the training. Like some people don't necessarily need to get bigger to get stronger. Other people need to be a little bit bigger to get stronger. We're, yes, we're all different. So this program, you would say, is aimed at someone that's established a base level. They have a, a training under their belt. Yeah, it's not a beginner program. Yes. So the harder part is a lot of times people's egos force them into different programs. And instead of like kind of taking a step back and realizing that there's an ideal program for you as an individual at this time in your life. And I think what Power Athletes done better than anybody on the planet is we've put programs together that hit each athlete at the right time. Correct. And one note on that, it doesn't mean if your goal is to get bigger. I'm back. Sorry. Note on that. Charles, Wait. I lost. Can you hear hear something? Because I sound fine. Now. Now I'm back. Okay. Yeah. We got to. We got to unfuck this whole thing. All right. Yes. And we're on. Um, You're a splitter. Fucking shocker. Yeah. Okay. Uh, train of thought back. <clears throat> if your goal is to get big and jacked as all possible, which many of our jack streets, that's their goal. It's still a matter of applying the appropriate program at the appropriate time. So after we've established this base level and it's a good 20 or so weeks on bedrock linear progression. Now we're ready for Jack street to optimize the amount of time and volume you're about to invest in this program. Yeah. The, um, man, uh, people, I think that gravitate towards lifting weights, there's a certain amount of ego involved. I'll just give you an example. Uh, you know, uh, Ingo super active on garage gym reviews on Facebook uh-huh. and, uh, he tags me in on shit. Uh, bad wait, jokes, especially, uh, but yes, dude, the king of bad jokes. Uh, but also, you know, not only one of, uh, you know, the original CrossFit footballers, but, you know, friend and ally of the program and, you know, but dude loves to take a shot at me, which fucking I appreciate. So Ingo tagged me in the other day because somebody had a question about the safety squat bar. And so, uh, it was interesting. This guy, you know, um, Ingo having obviously listened to the podcast and been around us, one of the benefits I've seen from the safety squat bar is obviously less loading on the shoulders. But also for a guy like Ingo, who's got a messed up elbow, it allowed him to squat. And it's been like a godsend for him instead of trying to do some weird contortion steal to get underneath the bar. Mm-hmm. He also, um, you know, either it was something I said a long time ago or, you know, I mean, the first time I really ever heard it articulated this way was actually through uh, before the Internet. Louis Simmons used to write articles that were in their newsletter and were also in different magazines. And one of them in there, he had about uh, various squat bars. And he talked about one of the best accessory movements for the deadlift was the safety squat bar. And especially to like a low box. So the idea is that it builds upper back strength. And he went through all of his uh, amazing Louisisms on it. So Ingo jumps in and goes, hey, you know what? Um, it's not only really beneficial because it takes loading off of the shoulders, allows for, you know, some really, you know, much better squatting. But it's also helped me build my deadlift. And then he tagged me in. So some guy was like, I've never heard this before. And I, I, and so like my deal is like, I never know what people's level, level of experience or adaptation is. So I always say, man, like, Hey, if you're new to this stuff, um, like here's a little history and just go check this out. And uh, I was like, you know, the, uh, um, you know, the safe squat part has been used since the eighties. I think 84 was when I first uh, heard about, or I, the, the date that I was first told that it's early eighties that there was a, um, I forgot the guy, the name of the guy who invented it, but Hatfield's the one that really grasped onto it. Mm-hmm. And he was the one, you know, and we have a Hatfield bar still up there under the gym. 
Yes. Dr. Fred Hatfield, <laughs> Doc- Dr. Squat. Yeah. <laughs> so we have Dr. Squat on the podcast numerous times. Uh, but that safety squat was a huge part of his training. Mm-hmm. Um, first time I ever used it when I, I hurt my wrist at Zangus's place. So um, the thing has been a staple. I mean, we used it at Cal. It's been a staple in weight rooms forever. And so it's interesting when somebody's like, I've never heard of a safety squat bar. What is it? And my comment was like, hey, man, if you're new to this stuff, like here's some really cool history. This is who invented it. This is how long you know we've been using it. And this is the stuff. And instantly, because the first sentence was like, hey, if you're new, and then it's like, I'm not new. I've just been, you know, lifting weights with barbells. And, and people take instant fucking, like, somehow, like, I've fucking demeaned them by that. And I'm like, why does everybody assume that because you're new, and, and it's just a weird thing, like, I'm just new to this shit. Like, whether it be any of these disciplines, whether it be, you know, cars, guns, whatever, lifting weights, that somehow uh, being new is a bad thing. Shit. If I could be new every single day and follow basic linear progression like bedrock for the rest of my life and fucking squat 3,000 pounds, I'd be in business. Unfortunately, though, the longer you've been at this, the more complex the program. So, like I said, when people come in and they're brand new, there's no shame in being new. I mean, dude, I constantly strive to be a white belt in everything. I find new things that I can suck at that I'm a beginner. Lifting weights, I just so happened to find it when I was 14. I also, I showed you yesterday, I found a picture of me and Zangus when I was 14 years old at Zangus's shithole gym. So somebody, I got a DM when somebody's like, what did Zangus's gym look like? I was like, it was a really crappy three-car garage and I found a picture. So let me post that up. Um, but the idea that uh, when people come to powerathletehq.com slash training and they click on, they look at the programs, regardless of their level of adaptation and how long they've been training, they're always going to gravitate to the program that they feel nurtures their their ego and or their goal or their goal not realizing that jack street's pretty complex it's an intermediate advanced program we're going to ask you to do one set to fail you know uh or you know in certain points we're going to do what i call shadow sets which are one set to failure where you're there's going to be some ascending volume working up to a certain rep max and then you know ask you to die on the sword with a final rep set and we're going to progress on and usually what we do is i usually do the most neurally demanding high um, you know, like high intensity type movements, like something that's extremely demanding, like a free squat. And then we transition into less demanding movements like unilateral. And it's just there, there's a hierarchy. It's the way it's designed. The problem is, is if you don't have enough training on your belt, you're not going to have the physiology to reap the benefits of what I'm asking you to do, or even a greater understanding of how to do it. So there's a whole, like, like a maturation phase of like doing bedrock to really understand like to grease the groove, to, you know, hit the same reps, you know, hit the same movements, very, very basic in terms of the uh, uh, equipment list, but also the most demanding program we have. And then once you get through that, then progressing into something like Jack Street and realizing Jack Street's a lot more fun when you're really strong. Yes. Like lifting, like doing something like Jack Street when you're not real strong isn't a lot of fun. Well, you potentially be unable to accomplish our three goals for hypertrophy if you are not strong and able to maintain that well it's really hard like for compensatory acceleration if you're not strong it's really hard to be able to have the uh i guess you could say concert because really i I think about like almost totality well i think about like um, an orchestra all playing well together and that's really with that intern intramuscular coordination and rate coding and motor unit recruitment and all these other really cool things that you can learn about in zadiskorsky's science and practice all of those things working together to move a bar as fast as you can from point A to point B and then back to point A. Uh, that to me is like the coolest concert of efforts. 
Yeah. So let's let's combine many of the points you've introduced, especially our, our three mechanisms for building muscle, and then with some examples of the training, like the shadow sets, like the rep max, and then like the drop sets. Uh, I want to start with rep max. So anyone that's new to training, awesome tool that we've been able to optimize throughout the training programs, especially something like Jack Street, where we need failure. Well, it, it's really mechanical tension, right? And mechanical failure. So like the, uh, the analogy is always great. If you guys ever saw Pumping Iron with Arnold Schwarzenegger, they asked him, you know, what's the rep range, the best rep range? And maybe it was, it was an interview. I'm pretty sure it was in Pumping Iron, but they asked Arnold. You are right. Yep. What's the best like rep range to get strong? And he was like the next one. If I can get six, it's the seventh. If I can get seven, it's the eighth. It's always the next rep. And it was a little bit of confusing. It made a ton of sense to me. The idea is if you can get one more rep, you have to get one more rep. Now, a lot of powerlifting programs and even some bodybuilding programs are constantly about leaving a rep or two in the tank. Um, I think for maybe some people uh, that works, but I think once you get to a certain point, there has to be ways that you're going to have to go to something to failure. and What's pretty fascinating is uh, if, and and for what a a lot of uh, various programs do, and we don't necessarily do that as much because the crowd that we work with in our audience and the way that the programs are designed in my mind is that garage gymmer, you know, the guy with a barbell, some dumbbells banging in his garage, not necessarily somebody that has a ton of access to selectorized equipment, but it doesn't mean- Or spotters. Or spotters. It doesn't mean that you can't go to a gym and do jack street on- you know, a ton of selectorized equipment. You can, you would just have to sub it in. But uh, as these guys get done with their most complex, neurally demanding movement, like let's say a back squat, and then they progress in, a lot of times they won't have people go to failure on the back squat just because of the trickiest nature of having to ditch the bar and spotters. There's just too much element of getting hurt. So they're always like, I'll leave a rep or two in the tank. Then we're going to progress over into, into machines which have greater stability. So there's an interesting correlation between stability and hypertrophy. So if you can take the balance aspect out, like just sit in a machine where the machine is doing the balance and all you have to do is focus on pushing through a rep range that's already predetermined by the machine, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you adjust the handles of the seat to try to hit what rep range you, or uh, what range of motion you want or necessarily like the, the path of the movement. Um, that's why, you know, if you look at the Rock's Iron Paradise, he's got 25 different you know, chess machines. He has all these different machines because he's trying to train the muscle in different ways with different machines. You know, the loading might be more at the top more versus more at the bottom. That's why you add bands. I mean, there's a whole bunch of different ways to skin it. But what they found is that if you add stability into the mix and then all you have to do is focus on pushing or pulling or whatever it is, and you don't have to focus on balance and fucking ditching the bar and you can go to true mechanical failure, that's when all of a sudden they transition over into mechanical failure. Uh, that's why for like a lot of um, the Jack Street stuff, when we do go to some upper body failure, we're usually going to use dumbbells. Uh, I love dumbbells. One, I think they are uh, provide a better range of motion. I like the fact that, you know, it's a kind of unilateral that you're pushing so you can see the imbalances. We can also change uh, the angle of the dumbbell as you're moving. Like once you're locked on a bar, your hand is fixed. So on a dumbbell, like as you bring it down, you can kind of rotate it. You can play with the, the angle of your hand to find like the perfect um, track for the, the weight to move. And even those people that have injuries, like, you know, my right shoulder is a little fucked up. So like there's a certain position where my shoulder will click and I can actually pull my elbow in and find that exact 
um, range of motion and just, you know, uh, uh, dumbbell pathway mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily light my shoulder up. And, um, you know, these guys search for just the right piece of equipment that's built in such a way that stimulates the body in just a way. And stability is a huge piece for that. So usually the most neurologically demanding movement is, is up first. And then there's kind of a cascading effect down. So for a lot of bodybuilding programs, they'll usually put neurally demanding movements up first and then train smaller, you know, stability based mechanical selectorized equipment to failure because it's safer. And on that note, uh, quick comparison versus other programs. It's not just a written movement and then the set and rep that hits. You have a coaching voice within the program. And I can't tell you how important it is to have that, especially in the bodybuilding world, where I, I need a coach to tell me how, how do you want me to feel this? One of, the, one of my biggest bang-ons for Train Heroic, um, and I've been on them for years on this, and uh, actually I'm going to go meet with them, and like one of the things I want to die on the sword is I want the ability when I'm uh, like programming or more importantly when, when I'm responding to comments, whether it be on the training day or in the team feed, I want the ability to be able to hit a microphone and dictate in what I want. Like to be able to coach and for people to hear the voice like they hear are on the podcast and like that ability, even, you know, we could record here for the, for the demos, but I think it'd just be clunky. It'd be great if I could just record, uh, like the coaches, you know, like from the desk of John Wellborn, like the directions, if that could be actually a recorded message directly recorded onto train heroic, that's one of the coolest things I've been hoping for. Cause I think people would dig it. Be like, Hey guys, welcome to another day on Jack street for week two. We're, we got to get it going. So today we got clusters and this is what we're going to do and have somebody talk you through it. I think that would be really pretty cool. And you do an amazing job writing the coaching instruction. Because I usually am sitting there. Uh, I, I like to do it later at night, especially on the weekends. If I've had a beer, I'm usually way more funny after one drink. Like I'm, you know, but that's like my deal, one drink. So anything more than that and then my fucking, uh, uh, I start making too many errors and I got to have TC come in and fix it. And then people get upset that I, you know, somehow I, made a mistake. trying to pay a compliment here, John, but explain the objective of the narrative. And where we say mechanical tension, like it's a different thing to train somebody to feel mechanical tension. So how would you use spoken word to describe that feeling at this moment in time? Um, You know, there, there's kind of an interesting piece. Like uh, when I think about mechanical tension, it's not just failure. You're actually creating tension in the muscle, like within your hands. Like the one thing that people don't do that I, I think I do uh, instinctively that I think has resulted in, in success over a period of time is uh, I squeeze the handles like on a dumbbell or a bench press or whatever it is, like a bar. I squeeze the bar as hard as I can. I think a lot of people just kind of set their hands there and they use them like hooks. But like, for example, when I'm using dumbbells, uh, I like when I bring them in, I squeeze them as hard as I can. And not only is I'm contracting the muscle and, uh, you know, working to try to feel the muscle working, but I'm also squeezing the handle. And I think that trains the grip and also activates uh, the muscle to fire instead of just kind of keeping a real light, soft grip where you're just kind of pushing. And I see that a lot, especially on machines where people just kind of like put on a strap and a real light grip. I think you got to really squeeze, uh, squeeze the handles. Um, you know, same thing with squatting, really taking my big toe and driving it into the ground. The thing I really like about, um, so we a couple of years ago when we heard Cal Dietz speak, um, he solved the problem really quickly 
on something that I've been trying to articulate for a long time. The idea of how do you get the big toe and the foot to strengthen in a squat. He did it with by, you know, single leg, active foot, you know, uh, safety bar, Hatfield squats and just driving a ton on the foot, which we used. And then we went back and we were like, you know, how can we transition this? So we started kind of doing the active foot where we get the heels to float off of the rubber. Uh, then the other one was blocking the heel up to try to get more positive shin angle, but also by effect driving the foot into the ground. And, and it's next to impossible to do an elevated heel squat without really pushing your toes into the ground and big toe. But getting that big toe involved and working to like push that thing through the full range of motion movement, which gets the whole body to fire. So I think a lot of times people are kind of their their connection to the weight. Like this is an interesting one. If you think about um, if I'm going to move a barbell with my hands or I'm going to put a bar on my back, uh, how I like how I move this weight starts at the point. So for example, when I grab the bar, I squeeze the bar as hard as I can. And now I pull because this is where the weight is. When the bar is on my back, I'm not just squatting the weight. I'm trying to push myself and push myself through the floor. So the, almost the point of, of like tension comes from like that big toe and me splaying my foot and really pushing my feet through the ground as I move the movement. And I think that that comes down to, you know, I've heard people talk about the mind muscle connection and really just creating this kind of conscious stream mm-hmm. between muscle activation and the brain forcing it. And, and the beauty of the program and how we aim to help facilitate the mind muscle connection is the movement selection. In example you provided there, where that active foot, we can go an active foot with a split squat. That way we are putting you in the best position and then provide a written description of what to feel. Another example, and we've done this in the master's movement, is our hex press. Yeah. The setup allows you, well, there's no way to execute this movement unless the two, uh, two edges of a hex dumbbell are being mashed together. So how, how quick coaching points on that, John for us to put you in a position for mechanical tension and, of course, fail. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about, that there's more than one way to create mechanical tension. I mean, there's mechanical failure, but there's also creating tension, squeezing those dumbbells and then mashing them together, you know, and then effectively feeling, you know, your chest flex as hard as you can now all of a sudden under that flex. I mean, we tested this years ago using um, EMS devices. So uh, what's wild about an EMS device like Compax or, or PowerDot what they're doing is they're forcing a concentric contraction. Like if you were to put it on your legs, it's going to straighten your legs. So what we figured out was that if we do forced eccentrics, like lifting weights under not max load, but a slight load, uh, that's an interesting way in terms of getting people to have that mind-muscle connection because electricity is forcing it into a concentric and now you're working away from it. So you do eccentric and as you're coming up, you can actually feel the muscle do what it's supposed to. And that was a really interesting piece when working with athletes when we were back actually in California and using a lot more EMS devices, uh, actually getting people to perform and do things that they had kind of fallen asleep on. Um, you know, where we kind of put the brakes a little bit on was when we were working with Matt Vincent. Matt came in to work with us. Uh, you know, uh, he had a ton of injuries and had developed a lot of patterns to work around those injuries that were safe for him. We did a bunch of manual resistance, hook him up to a bunch of EMS. He was so explosive that coming out of the hole, he ended up uh, tearing his ACL and fucking his knee up, and which ended up leading to a knee replacement. Not because of something we did, but because I think we got everything firing so well that he hadn't felt 
that like i mean like that's like hey his uh, engine's been going on one cylinder and we somehow fixed the time the timing to where now it's firing on eight cylinders and next thing you know you're blowing up your rear end which is kind of what happened to him and at that point i was like we don't need to bring in broken athletes and get them too activated to yeah too excitability the 12th principle of the power athlete method i thought that was slay all day slay everything slay everything yeah that was the 11th, 11. yeah it's the 11th <laughs> principle yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's um, there's definitely a a little bit of artistry in exercise selection. Uh, you know, the other one too. I mean, we can use um, you know that um, uh, like that metabolic distress aspect. I mean, we can do it with supersets. We can do it with short rest periods. Mm-hmm. We can do it in kind of other ways. And so, uh, what I really found too is that um, with like highly demanding movements, and this comes in universal to our programs. That if you just do the movement and then rest, the quality of the movement ends up deteriorating. And we, we found this and uh, just in, in watching video and our own training, but also Cal Dietz was the one that really, um, you know, we had a really great conversation about it. And he ab- observed it with his athletes. So we started kind of doing, you know, almost like, you know, d- what people call supersets or really just, you know, transitional type movements where, hey, if I'm going to do this and I'm going to transition over into this and bring somebody back. So actually asking people to move between two movements ends up improving the quality of both movements and then also allows me to limit their rest so that we can effectively push them through faster to create that metabolic distress. Yes, and uh, creating a general physical preparedness within a strength training program, which is highly beneficial, which we'll get to one point on Louie in one moment. And then overarching goal of a power athlete is increasing your athleticism. Yeah. So this is not the standard bodybuilding program. It's an opportunity to increase muscle plus your ability to use it. Yeah. And then comment on the Louis GPP real quick. Yeah. So, um, you know, Louie, who uh, let you guys in on a little secret, we're going to be heading over there to Columbus, Ohio, uh, to go and visit with our good friend Jim Wendler and also visit Louis Simmons for Power Athlete Radio, which I'm super excited about. Um, you know, Louie and I have been friends for a number of years, just like Jim. And so the ability to get him on the podcast is going to be great. But, uh, you know, Louie wrote uh, an article years ago about GPP and anybody that's read any of Berkashansky's, uh, Zadiskorsky's or and any of the Russian, um, you know, uh, sports scientists knows that there was something called general physical preparedness. Westside wrote an article years ago about general physical preparedness, which is you need to raise the level of your conditioning so that you can handle more volume and more load. Uh, Louis knew that he could only get so strong training four times a, uh, four times a week. So what he did is he increased his training volume, not necessarily in that day, but he started doing multiple workouts. So he, at one point, was doing 18 workouts a week. So I remember he asked me, how many times a week are you training? And I'm like, five. He's like, I'm training 18. I have three times the chance to get better than you are. And the way he was able to do it was by raising his GPP and doing a bunch of conditioning so that he could be in good enough shape to survive his training so he could handle more load. Uh, I wrote an article years ago that was called, Do I Have to Be in Shape? And that's basically the premise of it, was that the better shape you are, the more you can play and the better you can do, just like we saw in the NFL. If a guy shows up to training camp in shape, does his condition test, comes in, he can practice. You show up out of shape, you get hurt, and you can't practice. So there's definitely a real benefit to being in shape. And that's why we put a, a bunch of aerobic stuff front and center. And we're working on constantly building that aerobic base and really pushing people on those conditioning, uh, on those sets to up their conditioning. Now, standard bodybuilding program, 
they're not necessarily worried about conditioning the way we are because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you know, just looking great on stage. I don't know what the, you know, the physical, uh, you know, aerobic capacity of those guys are. They just, I just remember when we were there, they looked real hungry. And moving sideways through doors. Uh, dude, that one guy looked like Ram Man. I just, I, I remember, uh, I think his name was Nick Winkler or Nick something. Man, that dude, he was uh, not very tall, but he was as wide as he was tall. And the dude just looked hungry. Like I, like I just was sitting there and like this girl was eating something next to him. And he looked over at her like, I'm going to eat all of that. And you, I mean, well, but, but that's, that's well, what's so amazing about the bodybuilding stuff, which has always been so impressive to me, is the dedication and the discipline to be able to be that hungry that long. Yes, and let's give some other examples of stumbling blocks, like neglecting your the the cardio, or neglecting your GPP responsibilities on the program. Stumbling block. Yeah. What are some other stumbling blocks that people have fell into that your experience coaching this program for in writing uh, this program for years? So um, I don't program rest sets. So, or I'm sorry, uh, warm up sets. So I um, like at the end of the day, I don't know. One, I don't know how strong people are, so I don't know how much how much uh, prep or warm up you need. Like, if I'm going to squat 500 for 10, I'm going to do 135, 225, 315, 365, 405, 455, 500. So by the time I get to my 500 set, I've already you know I got a fairly decent amount of volume underneath my belt. Uh, if you squat 200 pounds, you know are you are you doing 4,500, you know, 150. So, I mean, you might only take three or four sets to get to where you want. The stronger you are, the more lead up sets you need to be intelligent. I'm just not going to go 135, 500. So, uh, a lot of times um, when people jump in, they might only see three sets programmed. And I write, these are three working sets. Use whatever warm up you need to get to the weight you need to handle. You know, and uh, if it's, you know, if I'm shooting for eight reps, you know, it's somewhere going to be north of 70%, maybe a little bit more, maybe 75%, who knows? Uh, so you're going to have to build up how strong you are is really dictates it. So I think sometimes with people, just cause I like, what if I program two warm up sets and you squat 500 pounds, you're gonna need a lot more. So that's kind of a variable, uh, for me where, you know, and I constantly tell people these are just working sets. I'm assume you're already ready to rock. You've hit your goal weight, have a, uh, have a goal in mind. So I think a lot of times too, uh, people don't have a necessarily a weight they want to hit. Uh, when I look at the training and I see like, hey, this is the movement, this is the rep range, uh, you know, this is what I've done before. I can kind of calculate and be like, all right, I know if we're going to do slight incline dumbbell bench for eights, uh, you know, and it's my third movement, I'm probably going to hit somewhere between like nineties and one tenths, right? Just because I have enough experience. I think a lot of times. People don't necessarily know what they want to hit, so they just kind of warm up, and they do kind of what feels heavy. And then when they say eight reps, uh, and I like when I say eight reps, I mean eight reps. I mean don't mean nine because if you can get nine, get nine. If you can get ten, you can get ten. If you can get mm-hmm. eleven, you can get eleven. And then dump it. Then grab another set, pick a heavier weight, and give me eight reps. And if you can get nine, then get nine. Dump it, get a heavier set, and give me more reps. Yeah. And on that note, people often when they see rep max, they take that as PR. So they're aiming and choosing the wrong weight for them at this moment in time on this day throughout the cycle. So another common mistake is comparing who you are today to who you were or other people that are on the program. Oh, so these two right here. So great opportunity. 
John hit move the dirt in reference to me choosing my own weights and then leaderboard. We got to get into that. Yeah, the leaderboards. Uh, like, Lead off with move the dirt. Yeah. Much value, more valuable. So many years ago, there was this dude who made a comment on a podcast when podcasts weren't necessarily the coolest thing to do. Uh, <laughs> I made it an, or this guy made an analogy about training was like moving a pile of dirt. Uh, someday you get a shovel, someday you get a spoon, but as long as you're moving the dirt from one pile to the next, you're reaching towards your goal. And I think a lot of, you know, and the way that that guy broke it back down is like when training comes day, some days you get a shovel, which means you feel great. And I'm going to move a lot of dirt. Other days you get a spoon, but as long as you're moving dirt, we're moving in the right direction. So I think a lot of times, you know, and we've called them gambler sets where you got to know when to hold them, when to fold them. It happens to me all the time. Uh, you know, I do my warm up sets. I know what I want to hit. You get in there and something's not right. Then you know what? You got to pivot and either change the movement up or you got to change the implement. And there's different ways to continue to progress. And, uh, I think a lot of times people assume, and I do that. This is something that's plagued me for years where, um, I think you get to the point where every workout has to, uh, you know, be the best one. You got to fall on the sword and feel like, you know, you're fucking, you know, uh, I hate using war analogies, but you know, you're storming the, you know, the beaches at, at Normandy with it. And, uh, uh, that's not the case. Like not every workout, you got to die on the sword. Like not every workout. And I think people get stuck in this idea. Like I had a great workout yesterday to get better. I got to have a better one and a better one and a better one. And I think by giving people that analogy, move the dirt, it kind of allows them to realize like not every day I'm going to get to bring a shovel. Some days I got to bring a spoon, but the fact that I got in there and I did what was required of me is what's most important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now comparing yourself to others, yeah, that's a dangerous one. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a uh, it's the internet. I mean, who do, who do we know? I mean, I mean, there might be some crazy dude on there who's not even doing the training, just putting random weights in, which, just trying to watch the world burn. Yeah, are you? Yeah, I mean, some people just want to watch the bur- uh, watch the world burn, which is a great line from Backdraft. You remember when he's like, "Hey, Ronald, remember that?" He's like, "What'd you do to those kids? I burned them." And uh, like, see you next year. Yeah, Donald Sutherland, and also the Joker. Yeah. So, or uh, no, it was Michael Caine trying to talk sense into no, it Bruce was, Wayne. Uh, um, oh, well, yeah, that was another one when he's like the talk, rubies, yeah, the rubies. When he said some some guys just want, or some some men just want to watch the world burn. So there could be people like that, <laughs> or there might be people on Jack Street <laughs> on, on any of the programs. Like the one that's hilarious is uh, if if a movement calls for dumbbells, oh. you don't need to add the dumbbells up. This is a sin. I know this because when you're going to do dumbbell bench, you're like, hey, what'd you hit on dumbbell bench? Oh, 120. I, 120s. <laughs> Damn, dude. You 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 took the 120s for a ride. No, no, no. I did the 60s by adding them up. Nobody in any gym has ever done that. So the fact that people constantly ask, do I add the weight of the dumbbells? And I know the only reason they do that is they see somebody's number on there that they're like, holy shit, that guy did 120s. I'm only doing 40s. He must be adding them up. I need to add them up to feel equated. But here's the thing. If you said to me, hey, I, I, I nailed the 120s or I nailed 120 on the dumbbell bench, I'd be like, great. Go grab the, you know, the 125s and let me see how you get it. Whoa, 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 I only can get the 60s. Like, there's nobody that would fucking say that. And then the other one is, is people are like, well, what if there's a one, one-arm dumbbell? I'm like, yeah. Use the 120s. Same. <laughs> no, because then you're going to put 60. It's not like it, it just... I know that when you put the number in, 
I know that when you put in 60, I know you used a set of 60s. If it's a one arm, if it's a Bulgarian split squat with one arm dumbbell and you put 60, I know it's 60. Like I've done this before. I'm not going to be confused. So it, it, I think that's just a point of ego where there's this imaginary leaderboard that people are trying to match up to. And there might be some dude who's just trying to see the world burn. I think they're out there. Yeah. How about if, say, we're in week four of a cycle and I just joined the program and I ask, yeah. hey, where is week one? So normally what I tell people is, like, I don't rec- – like, you can go back in time and start at day one, which would always be preferable. The problem is it's really clunky. And then you never get to get caught up, so you're never current. Uh, but there's other people that don't give a shit about that. Like I, I just did a consult with a guy who follows two weeks behind, and he's like, I don't care about being current. I still post in the feed because it's all relevant. And so I think that there's like a FOMO piece of like, oh, I'm not current. I'm not missing out. But at the end of the day, and, and, and there, it's also clunky to constantly have to scroll back because the way the app works is it comes on today. So then I got to go back in time. And eventually... If I'm starting in week three, four, five, six, seven, eight of a cycle, eventually I'm going to get to start on week one with the team. Well, I mean, so it is a great opportunity to, well, to maybe, jump in and start the day. But think about like, let's say you start on, yeah, I mean, if you started fresh and you're in the second day of the fourth week, eventually you'll get to a new cycle where you'll be current. If you start back at week one, you'll never catch up unless you just like, you know, as everybody's going the new cycle, then you just kind of magically jump forward which I know people have done. People have skinned it every way. Um, I don't know what the right answer is. I uh, I know for the way that we've dis- or Train Heroic originally was designed was the idea of team training, where, you know what, we're in this fight together, just like if, if it was a college environment, and, you know, we're in winter conditioning, and you show up as a transfer in February, and we're already a month into our winter conditioning. You're not going to go back to day one. You're going to just jump in with your team. So that was the idea with team training on Train Heroic was the idea that there's a team of individuals training and you show up and you get into the group opposed from like, you are a beautiful snowflake. Here's your program start on day one, which is how the majority of programs work. But then again, that's also the progression piece where, you know, if you're going to want to become an Olympic lifter and follow, you know, Dave Spitz's, uh, you know, Cal Strength and, you know, you jump into his advanced only cycle in, you know, the eighth week of a 12 week program. You're going to get shattered on the block, on the rocks because you haven't done the preparatory work to get there. So there's kind of give and takes, and I see it both ways. I really think there should be an option to do both. That if you show up and, you know, it, it kind of renews every cycle. Like if you show up in the, you know, whatever it is, you know, you have the option of starting day one on the cycle or being current. Now, what if, what if my goals change and evolve? Similar to our bedrock where a tree can't grow to the sky forever. Yeah. I can't grow wider forever, John. I can only bust so many genes. So what Power Athlete did different than just about any other program is I think what I did is I sat down and with Harry and Patrick, and I mean, this is years ago in terms of like who are the archetypes, kind of like we have these icons that represent each program, like a lion for Jack Street or a bull for Field Strong. Uh, these icons were as as similar as a demographic, there was a, um, a, a hero, really an archetype of an individual who is like the perfect person or the demographic, however you want to put it in the marketing terms. There's a certain individual that the program is geared towards. Uh, and that's how the program is written opposed from, 
um, you know, like basing the program on what equipment you have access to. Like we didn't have two programs where it was like, uh, you know, weight room uh, or uh, um, Globo Gym goblins and, uh, you know, garage gym, uh, you know, gremlins where it's like, you know, you, you got these two groups of people and I'm writing one program because one guy's got a leg press and the other guy's just doing Bulgarian split squats as accessory because that's all he has access to. You know, so I didn't really base it on, um, you know, uh, you know, dude, men, 45 year old, you know, like it, it just wasn't based upon like how most people look at stuff. Like, what do you have access to? Here's a program for you. It was based on like, Hey, this is who you are. This is the archetype, you know, like whether it be, this is what you're training for. This is what you're training for. Instead of like, where are you training? It was, what are you training for? This program allows you to maximize the best version of yourself to be able to follow this program. Other little, uh, tidbit, uh, we've entered into some initial talks about doing kind of a power athlete book, uh, the story of the power athlete and, uh, the way that I've always wanted to write a book about this is a little bit different approach than other people. So what I've never liked is a conventional approach. Uh, I've read a ton of people's books, you know, and it's always this kind of first person narrative. And I think there's a different way to do it, to make it interesting. Just like in the training stuff, I look at how most people are doing it and this is the industry standard. I'd like to attack it in a little bit of a different way. Let's not give away the no, secret sauce. I'm not. But uh, like the way that program, whether it be Jack Street or this, I mean, these programs are written with a certain individual in mind. Uh, it's not male or female. It's not, you know, it's, but it's, it's like a certain person that I can picture in my head. Who's the archetype. This is my guy. This is who, you know, this is who I imagine following the program. And uh, this is how they are going to use the program. This is the, what is his training for, which I always, I, I've asked for years. And what's funny, Harry used to bust my balls. He's like, you can't have a tagline be a question. It has to be a definitive statement. Just do it. It's not like, should we do it? And this is Harry ripping on me for years. I'm like, yeah, but what are you training for is such a valid question in this field. Tell me what you're training for and I'll tell you the right program and I'll tell you how best to accomplish your task. Final question. Three keys to maximize building your house on Jack Street. Consistency. Uh, consistency and consistency. No, it's, um, uh, location, location, location. So I think it's consistency, understanding relative intensity and, um, focusing on perfect execution of the movements. So nowhere in there did I talk about the strength known that did I talk about numbers? I talked about consistency, the person that can train with the greatest relative intensity over the greatest amount of time is the person that accomplishes their goal. Uh, and the, the other piece to that is focusing on perfection in the movement, you know, working on that. You know, what would Roth say? Um, you know, the constant, uh, persistent pursuit of perfection, persistent pursuit of the athlete, three P three P, but, but it's true. Like when I think about, uh, you know, the execution of the movement, how proficient is my movement? And am I moving the bar and I'm, am I moving in the, in the best way that I can? If, if I'm not moving the weight the way that I should, I pivot and find a way to move the, the weight in the best range of motion for me. So for, you know, like I said, you know, I, I got some workarounds with my shoulder. 
So sometimes I got to play with the angles on the slight incline. Like if I'm going to hit the upper chest stuff, sometimes I go over and I'll use the hammer. Uh, you know, we got cable, so I'll, I'll do it different ways. I mean, so there's always a way for me to kind of pivot to try to find the response that I'm looking for. Now, if you're a healthy individual, follow it as written. If you're a little more broken and you got to be a little more creative, you got to be creative. But I'm constantly fighting for that, uh, the pursuit of constant or what is it? Perfection. Perfection persistently. Yeah. <laughs> Pursue. Raph's going to kill me. I know. I know. The, we're fucking this. We're, I would totally butcher this up for him. But consistency, relative intensity is another key factor. Like how hard can you push today within the realm? Like if you go in and you smash yourself with, on the rocks every fucking day, eventually you're going to tank. Uh, you know, you got to be able to train at a high relative intensity. I mean, like yesterday I went in and uh, I've been testing a new split for Jack Street. And yesterday was my leg day. And uh, I fucking smashed myself to the point where, uh, uh, dude, I I trained much later than I normally do. We usually train first thing in the morning, but I had a bunch of stuff. And I got outside and I wanted to sit outside for about 30 minutes in the sun. And then I finally got up to start training at about four. And then I saw you, which was my training pack because we talked about a bunch of shit. And then <laughs> you happened. left. And then, I, and then I banged for about 90 minutes, went down, and then I had to cook dinner for the kids and start doing all the other stuff. And, uh, dude, I just – I fucking slate it uh and uh i woke up today and i was I feel beat up so i mean it just but that's good i mean you got to kind of dig yourself a hole on occasion cool well thanks for tuning in another episode of power athlete radio bye well where can they try out a Damn it. free trial of i was street. trying to end it jack street powerathletehq.com slash training go to jack street or you can just search power athlete jack street you know take your right to it perfect awesome experience the everything we talked about today plus the coaching plus the videos plus the leaderboard find that guy who's watching the world burn and uh yeah don't add your dumbbells together now it's time for you to empower your performance head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals and if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!